We're going to talk about love today, but we're going to talk about love in kind of a different, well, kind of different context. Obviously, we're going to talk about idols. And uh, so hopefully you'll be able to kind of connect the dots in terms of kind of person. So it, I don't want to say it's a little bit more abstract or theoretical, but it's, um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's typical of how we talk about love necessarily. So. I could be wrong, though. All right. Um, I just review. Idols are mirrors. Icons are windows. Mirrors trap you. Windows release you. We kind of went over that. And two weeks ago, we said idols demand certainty without any questioning, and faith has doubt and questioning. So a subset of that will be what we talk about today in terms of love. And then I think after this week, we'll just simply dive into the chapters and just kind of keep rolling in terms of you know, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, I think. So, um, all right, if you have a Bible handy, what does God ask of us? I think that's something that we just, we just need to kind of think about because most of the time when we think about our right relationship with God, we think of terms of belief. I believe in God. God wants us to believe in him. Um, and that's true. That's part of it. That's true. Um, but that, that's kind of a, personally, I think it's kind of lame. I mean, think about relationship, right? My, Holly and I, I believe in Holly. How romantic. How wonderful. In fact, I think, I think next Valentine's Day, I'm going to say, I believe in you. All right, so, so anyways, I, I, this is somewhat of a false antithesis. I'm just being silly. However, when we, when we think about our relationship to God, sometimes we, just, we leave it at that. And, of course, Jesus says, you know, uh, in uh, John chapter 14, and uh, John has a lot of love language. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, and greater man has... Greater love that has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And, you know, it's, it's all real nice. So, um, <laughs> so, anyway, so John also says, or Jesus says in John, uh, believe in God, believe in me. So I don't, I don't want to put these against each other. It's just that um, sometimes when we simply, simply talk about belief in God, it makes this relationship a lot less well, I, I think interesting and a lot less fun. And so, since we are the church, we are the we're the bride, and Christ is the bridegroom. Um, you know, we don't say to our spouses, "I believe in you." I mean, we do, right? Usually, when they're like going to go for a job interview or something like that, "I believe in you." But in our more kind of intimate moments, honey, I believe. No, we say, I love you. And so I think that's important for us to kind of keep in the forefront as we talk about God, idols, and love. So uh, Mark chapter 12, we read this last week. And there's a young man who is seeing Jesus being questioned and by the scribes or by, by the Pharisees, and then him, and the, he's a scribe, and comes up. So Mark chapter 12, verse 28. 
One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he, he asked him, Which commandments or commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. All right, so, and Jesus agrees with them, and he says, Hey, great. That's, that's fantastic. And then Jesus says, um, you are very close to the kingdom of God. And what makes this man's answer is obviously the word, is, this, is love, this relationship. Because the man says, these are greater than all the, what does it say, the, the uh, sacrifices and offerings? Which at that time, well, especially in the Gospels, the sacrifices and the offerings, as the Gospels portray them, is a transaction. Okay? So, what works outside of the... So, transaction, right? You, you do this, you get this. Does that make sense? So, you, you do, you know, you, you sacrifice, you get something back in return. There's this transaction. There's this... And to kind of, for argument's sake, it's, it's an economic exchange. It's an economy, right? I give my money, I get something, I do my work, I get something. There is this exchange or transaction going on all, all over the place in our society. So what Jesus says here, though, or what this man answers, or Jesus answers, he, he goes outside that kind of transaction, and he talks about love. So this is important for us to keep in our mind because... Love is outside this kind of economy, this, this transaction, okay? And what we'll find out um, that we often like to stay in the economy, even in our relationship towards God, in ways that might be a little bit more subtle than you think about. Okay. So now 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Because in the Gospel of Mark, you love the Lord your God. Of course, we're Lutherans. So our first response to that is, but I can't love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, because I'm a damn sinner. And that is absolutely true. So First uh, John helps us a little bit, under, helps us understand Mark in the context is that Jesus, when he says loving God, he's not saying by your own will and effort. There's a whole sub-foundation happening in Mark, but that would take us too long to get to. So 1 John 4, um, uh, well, 7 through 12 is is what we'll, I'll just read it, but verse 10 is where we'll get to. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, that's, that's, okay, love is from God. So when we talk about love, the only love that is actually love is the, the love from God. So love as love is, is always from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, I have to say one thing about knowing God. Um, uh, uh, so when we talk about knowledge here in a little bit, Knowing in the sense that I know it completely, okay? 
John, he uses the word knowing, and also in the Gospel of John too, but not in the sense that I know God completely. Okay? So I just I want to keep that out there, just in case you say, Pastor Nelson, you say one thing, and the Bible says another. That sounds like you're disagreeing with God. I'm not. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, which goes back to that idolatry, mere business. Remember seeing and... Okay, uh, God, uh, if we love one another, God abides us and his love is perfected in us. Perfected, it's not as if God's love was lacking before, but perfected meaning it, it becomes complete or whole in us. It's not like God's love is incomplete and it's not until we start loving that it's you know, complete or perfected. Uh, okay, so anyways, all right, so... Uh, who is love? Obviously, God is love. Who has love or who has the, the ability to love? God. Um, and then who gives love is, is obviously God. So this is something that we have to keep in mind. So as we understand love, we always have to look towards God, but most specifically in this, you know, the sending of, of Jesus Christ. And then this is where I think it will be challenged, I think. All right. So, Scalia, in, on page 15, makes this statement, which I feel uh, she basically uses the rest of the book to kind of unfold. Why do people allow their relationship with God to become disoriented? Sadly, the problem usually starts with love. And I, I wouldn't say usually. I would say it always. Now, of course, it's not love as love is real, but our misunderstanding of love. So, how love is misunderstood, misapplied, and misreceived, which is not a word, but I wanted to keep the mis-mis, uh, creates idols, okay? And I have a feeling the misreceived is probably the, the most foundational mistake that we make, or, or how we turn God and God's love into an idol. Perfect. Um, okay. How about this? I have uh, a really nice gift here, and I'm going to give it to you. Uh, you say, oh, I, no, I don't. No, I don't deserve that. No, that's too much. You just misreceived the gift. So we misreceive gifts almost all the time, basically, when we say, oh, you shouldn't have. Well, don't tell me what to do, okay? Because you're not in control of this, because you're the receiver. Not to be too harsh, but that, something that simple misreceives gifts. Um, and so we'll, we'll understand that this is, this is pretty hard for us, because frankly, we don't like to receive anything. 
uh, and we don't like unconditional love. And this is what we'll get to is uh, uh, con- unconditional love horrifies us. And I think that's the right word to use. I wasn't the first one to use it, but it horrifies us. And we actually, on a certain level, hate it. Right, or even it, I think it gets more radical, even more radical, where we say, um, on a certain level, we feel bad about God loving us, especially on Good Friday, we feel bad. Now, here's the thing: we, we, over the last several weeks, we've talked about how there's a thin line between God and idol, and I think this is one of these places where it really gets messy for us. And what we'll actually find out, and you might say, that's impossible, then how can I, you know, how do I, how do I understand or receive God's love? Um, we'll find out, though, that it, uh, for what's impossible for man, all things are possible for God. So, anyways. How, how can you, yeah? I'm just trying to understand, how can you misreceive God's love you always get, you can't not give it. <laughs> That's right? Okay. You, you can't say, no, I, I don't want to love you. He was going to love you. Okay, but you're talking about him as a giver now. Okay. So his giving of love is constant always. It is who he, I mean, it, it does, that we just read, right? God is love. And God as love is primary in terms of kind of concreteness is, is one as giver or one who gives love. So he gives all the time. You, in, in terms of a receiver of love, because that's your, your state, can, can misreceive. And, and another way to say it is you just refuse it or reject it. That's a misreceiving of God's love, right, right? when you reject it. But that doesn't mean he stops loving you. That, that means that, that, again, so you have these, you've got to keep this in balance, is that God is a giver of love. This is, that's just who he is always. And that's kind of the radical nature of what God's love is. But we as receivers are, are, are we have a, we just, we have a problem time receiving it. Yeah. No. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Um, and I, this is something, this is an element of faith. Because there's, there's a strange thing here where when we lay claim to knowing God's love, this goes back. This goes to the knowledge bit. You have to ask yourself: Do I really know God's love? Do I know it? And in a certain sense, we don't know it because we don't know it fully, right? I mean, we don't know. I mean, God's love, right, is deep and wide. Right, deep and wide. Um. And to presume we know the vastness and the extent of God's love then makes us the holder of it. And frankly, we can't hold it. Now, that doesn't mean, though, we can't receive it, though. It's this, it's this peculiar thing where God's love, as a gift, always needs to remain a gift. And I would ask you, then, let's just kind of talk kind of normally what would be the nature of a gift? 
or what's what's the purpose of a gift? And 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 given. Now, use I would say would be in in terms of receiving. I, I have I really fully received. Well, okay, this not to jump ahead, but hopefully we read the the chapter about the hammock. That's in chapter two, right? I think. <laughs> oh, man, I don't remember. I, uh, I, that's one of the things. I, uh, there's a chapter about her husband and the hammock. It must be. You know, it might be on the technology one now that I think about it. Because she talks about stuff and technology. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he, he takes it out, but, uh, and then when it rained, he would take it back in, but eventually he just stopped putting it out. Too much trouble. So the question would be, had he actually received the gift? No, because, and that, so that's what I mean. I, I think it's, I always want to keep this kind of in this real simple giving-receiving aspect, because using a gift is just an aspect of receiving the gift. But the problem about the gift, though, that we often understand is that when we receive it, we keep it. It's only for us. Well, that, that's the problem, though, because a gift as a gift needs to be given also. So that, that's kind of the, the, the peculiar nature of a gift, is that is we are always receiving it, but at the same time, we're always giving it. So there is this elusive, I want to say elusiveness, but there is this dynamic character to love that we're receiving it and loving it so much so that we can't actually like, like hold it or, or lay claim to it. Because then once we do that, who's on the outside bounds of that love? It's us. And of course, we're, we like to look in the mirror. I mean, so it's, we're trapped now by this. Rachel. That's right. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> yep, right. And now, yeah. So no, Rachel, Rachel has just entered into the whole law gospel dynamic by this whole thing. Um, let's let's even put let's let's just take let's talk about people. This understanding of people as gifts. I think that's probably the, the easiest for to kind of play this out. Because if I receive my wife as a gift, um, but yet I apply these things like, a, like the wrapping and the, oh, I open up on Christmas, and it's, it's mine. You see this played out in children, but it, it goes all through adult. I mean, it doesn't change. You uh, have two children, and uh, one gets a gift. The other one has a gift, too. But that person wants to play with that gift. And what does that one who received that gift say? It's mine. Well, no, it can't be. Now, of course, we, uh, you know, there's practical aspects. What we normally say is you need to, to share, right? But that whole, that whole scenario, though, comes in with our, our, our people, is that, you know, like my, any, any relationship, we're actually going to talk about this next week, but is that um, when, we, when we talk about our relationships with people, we like to say they're 
I mean, when I say we like to, we have this uh, temptation to say they're, they're mine. This person's mine. Yeah, my friend, my best, usually, again, not to go back to junior high school or elementary school, but I have my best friend, and you can't be her friend because she's, she's my best friend. Um, it sounds awful, though, when we apply that to people, right? I mean, when it's like a little transformer, it's not a big deal. But holy smokes, when we talk about people, it's awful. Because we've treated this person as, a, as an object, right? And people aren't objects. People are people. And they are to be given and received and loved and cherished. And so, um, yeah, the concreteness of love always resides in, the, in people. I mean, that, that's kind of the, where the rubber meets the road. Okay, yeah, so, so this idea is that, yeah, so get, like, as you said, a gift is not something wrapped in paper. But, you know, that's, that's our default, I think. I think Rachel's right. I mean, I think that's our default. Whether it be Christmas or birthday or whatever. Just because, you know. Kirby. I, you got a lot of weddings, right? Yeah. I, I think you got <laughs> because we birthday registry, not birthday registry. Sure, yeah. Yeah, birthing registry, yeah, the whole nine yards. <laughs> a registry just kind of existed pretty much just here China. I mean, it was just so someone knew the special thing that you were going to do. Right. Yeah, the toaster, some toilet paper. Like, well, I'm not going to buy them. It's very practical, though, Kirby. <laughs> Man, this is a, that's a very good concrete example. Yeah. We make these boundaries of what we'll accept as a I am going to tell you how to love me. Yeah. <laughs> and if you decide not to love me the way I want to be loved, then you are what? The unloving person. Nancy. Yeah, because this kind of ties in, too. The thing is, what is the nature of God's love? It's really something we can't comprehend. Because in our mind, God's love should mean everything goes great for me. <laughs> I don't have any problems. And you look at all the people who say, oh, well, um, my sister died, and therefore I decided, you know, there's no God. Right, right. Throw the whole thing out. Yep. But, you know, and so there's that element of we want it on our terms. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, well, let's, yeah, let's, uh, Holly? So, like, the counter-serving when we were young and foolish in the 20s. 
Yes, this is very important. I remember these. I was thinking about this when Kirby was talking. What is wrong with these people? How dare they not? I mean, I. Oh yeah, but hang on though. But but Kirby, you are right though because. The Oh yeah, you you you. We were all. I I was an awful. I I remember that, and I feel so bad about that. It was awful. B pollen. Actually, that might, that sounds kind of neat right now. Yeah, well, okay, so I don't want to spend too much time, but the gift-giving and love-sharing, obviously, are, are very intertwined here. And, uh, but one, one of the great things, though, that Kirby said was the word surprise. And this is something very important because love as love is is always surprising. Just think about that. Because when you are not the one in control of love, on a certain level, you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Because it comes outside of that. It comes outside of your boundaries. And, uh, and so, yeah, love as love is, or as a gift as a gift is, is always a surprise. Grace is always a surprise. Why? Because you never deserved it in the first place. Okay? So, uh, but, but, yeah, this bridal registry bit is hilarious. Well, I was going to say baby registries, and then I think that becomes a lot more loaded when the baby registries, because what, you don't love my baby? <laughs> so, um, and, and yeah, but there, there's, uh, again, so this is very interesting, though, but what, what becomes awful is when we, well, first of all, when we apply it to God, as Nancy kind of said, is that we are loving God on our own terms, but part, part of this is the nature of who God is, and on a certain level, that really, like I said, scares us. Like, um, oh boy, let's, uh, um, I think it's on the back page here. Let's, we can, I mean, we're not really following this anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, oh, okay, so love by, like we said, love by its nature goes beyond any limits, uh, towards on the top. That would be, uh, kind of this understanding that, uh, love is, is kind of outside this, our realm comes outside of ourselves. Um, it's it's underneath that long quote, and I, you know I, I I didn't quote this so right. Um, G W B is God without being. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting book. A really philosophical, but uh, love does not suffer from the unthinkable or from the absence of conditions, but is reinforced by them. Which means then, is that. Um, what we, uh, you know, so like this, let's go back just to the bridal, bridal registry, is that a bridal registry in terms of unconditional love would be what? No exactly, no registry. <laughs> but holy smokes, that's scary though. <laughs> well, yeah, well, then that would be the receiver aspect is no expectations. I don't like that at all because, frankly, I like that China. 
So um, now again, I, you know, I'm not against bridal registries because there's a very practical side of things, but it, it's, it's kind of symptomatic of how we understand gift and showing love and receiving love. But what, what is, what's interesting is that, is that without the expectations, without the kind of boundaries or conditions, you might receive something you never would have imagined receiving. And in receiving that gift, your life is, ex it just is expanded into something entirely new. And, th and that, frankly, is good. Jan. Could be, I don't know. Excuse me? Herman what? Glockel. I'm sure it's on Google eBooks. Yeah, right. Right. Yep. And so, you know, well, God can't love this person because oh, right. I can't love this person. So we make God too small. Yep. And that becomes part of our problem. And I think, you know, like the registry and, and even what Nancy was talking about, that right. what's our concept of God? Do we really understand what God loving us? Right. And so this is important because when we talk about love or we talk about God being uh, loving, caring, giving, these words themselves, and, and that's like in chapter, the idol of uh, an idea, those are in fact uh, limiting themselves because we always understand these words in terms of, of actual human definition rather than by, by uh, the, the Bible or, or godly understanding. So, uh, but here's the thing. So love loves without condition simply because it loves. So I, I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, and I remember this girl asking me why I liked her. Now, of course, as a guy, you know, guys don't like answering those questions anyways. But even, I remember at that time, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I like you. Well, why? What about me? I was like, I don't know. So, of course, what did she receive that as? I didn't really like her, right? But, of course, though, if, if I actually gave her an answer, I don't know, whatever, her, her looks or her personality, I would be putting that above who, who she is, or I would be defining that person, I, I'd be restricting that person, and I would be making that person actually less. So it's a very peculiar thing where um, love without condition 
means it just simply loves, and then that's the end. So, which means then love is based on faith, not understanding or knowledge, which means love is incomprehensible. It doesn't make sense. Okay, that, that's, that's important. Because as we, as we kind of talk more about love here, we're defining grace and mercy, compassion. We're defining Jesus. And I, uh, defining is not the right word. We're kind of describing, we're, we're chit-chatting. Um, so there's no why to love. There's no why to love. So why do you love God? Because he first loved us. Very good. That's important because, oh, good job. That, yay, I was expecting because he forgave my sins. Or, so, or, or, or because um, uh, he forgave my sins or because he died for me. Uh, that, okay, so hang on. So, but this is because he loved us first. And now we have to understand what that means, what love is. But that is, that is a good answer. Good job. Oh, I'm very impressed. Why do I believe in God? Well, because he, uh, I'm going to heaven. Uh, why do I have a relationship with God so I don't go to hell? You, when we, when we, when we, when we, I mean, this is, uh, this is how I was taught as a kid, you know, Believe in God because you're going to go to heaven or have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? And then that would define how I love God. I love God because of he, he did something for me. And so then who would, be the rece- who would be the ultimate receiver of my love? Yeah, myself. I love God because he did something for me. I mean, this, the, the sentence structure says it for itself in English anyways. That's kind of crazy, right? Because that's how we think all the time. Now, of course, though, that's not improper to actually talk that way when we are talking in the way of love or, or God's love. Or, or, or in, so that, that was First John chapter 4, what we just read. We're kind of parsing that out without getting too literal with the verses themselves. Carol. Okay. Right. 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 Yep. It's a tit for tat kind of language. In fact, we read that in First John. If you love God, you will what? Obey my commandment. Uh, and that's First John in the Gospel of John. But. Oh, I know, but it, but it's it's the same kind of relationship. God did this. Isn't he awesome? I'm really gonna I'm gonna love him for that. Yep. It doesn't have to be based on tip for tat. It's because I am loved by God. Right. And and also love him. I am moved by that love to do these things. It's not Okay, so yeah, so Martha's good job. Keep talking, keep talking. It's not a debt that I'm paying. Oh, he did this, so I need Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good job. You're describing yourself as a what? God loves me. It changes me into a... 
I use the keep using the language. A lover. This is important because uh, Carol's dilemma doesn't change you into a lover. You are just you're just paying back what God has done. Saying thank you to God sometimes is a payback in our deep recesses of our hearts. Like for oh, let me let me just hang on. Let me play this out. I give Carol this really nice gift. What is the proper thing for Carol to do? And if she doesn't, what do I what do I say about her? Oh yeah, I just I break the eighth commandment. I'm destroying her. <laughs> what kind of gift does that? What kind of gift ends in her destruction? Well, it's not, it's not a gift. It's 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 an awful. It's a, it's an idol, and it's a yeah destroyer of life. So uh, this is this is kind of the interesting thing is is that oh God's done this for me. I have to say thank you because if I don't say thank you, then what? I'm an un, I'm an ungrateful person, and I'm terrible. Uh, however, though, if God's love by his, by his giving transforms me or changes me into a lover, then I'm actually doing what I'm. I, that's who I am. That's I can't do anything besides that. There's no calculation. It's who I am. A lover loves because that's what lovers do. <laughs> they love. So love loves because it's love. It's, it's, it's okay, but that's so frustrating. If we think about it, A, it, it's kind of weird. It doesn't sound right. When in terms of argument, a, a, a philosopher will say, that's a circular argument. You can't do that. Okay, well, that's just the way it is. We only know it's the way it is, though, based on faith, not because of knowledge and understanding. It is a gift. It's this, re, it's this revelation that God gives to us. Um, and that's why it's incomprehensible. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. So, um, now the thing is, though, what's really interesting is just because God loves us for no reason, that doesn't mean it's, inc- it's, it's, uh, it's not, uh, you can't receive it. You actually receive it. And it, receive it in terms of gift. Um, I think I actually... Okay. Oh, yeah, so love simply gives... Okay, yeah, I... I moved pretty quickly here. But let's, okay, so you receive it as a gift, receive it in faith, but in this revelation or this gift, I don't know it completely. So uh, John 3.16, God shows us our love. I mean, his love. So, so he reveals it to us, he gives it to us, but at the same time, it's still, it's still we don't know what it is. We just, we just know it's love. We just know what... We just, we just, this thing. Um, so at the same time, it's revealed, it's still a secret. Uh, in the biblical sense, when Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, um, uh, 1 through 6, uh, the, the hypocrite likes to stand on the street corner and you know show everybody how much they give. But I say to you, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, because he who uh, uh, reward will reward you in secret. And uh, so it's this peculiar. First of all, not to get too far on that tangent, but 
how can your left hand not know what your right hand's doing? That's a strange dealio. But it's this understand this this kind of uh, secrets. Now I wouldn't use secret because over the last several weeks we used darkness and kind of this questioning bit. That goes all with this discussion of love. Now I do say something. Love is an absolute loss. Oh, good job. Yep, 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 yep. That's good. I know. I know. That's right. Now, so, so Barb, actually, uh, she, she brings up something that, somewhat of a, a tangent, but I think if, if you're thinking about this, so God's a jealous God? And so this idea is that, oh, hey, he's jealous, so he must need something or expect something. God's jealous not for himself, but for, for yeah, for, for the one he loves. So that's something to keep in mind. It's, it's, uh, it's based on, the, not on him, but on, on the receiver. Yeah, so love is an absolute loss and um, expects nothing in return. So in place of payment or repayment, again, Admiration, thank you, or return gift, one gives, period. So the idea of loving without strings attached, frankly, for us is impossible. However, Mark chapter 9, 23, Mark 10, 27, not that we want to get into all that. Uh, I, I, Luke says the same thing in different circumstances, but... Um, Jesus responds to the man in Mark 9, if it's possible. All things are, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then um, Jesus says uh, in 10, he, he says, um, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Peter responds, then who can be saved? And Jesus' response is, with man, yeah, it's impossible. All things are possible with God. So this is, uh, this is where we get to this idea is that you, when we love, we got nothing. We can't love unless God loved us first and gave his, his love to us. Then uh, in great Lutheran fashion, I say, love then is externos. comes from outside of us. It is a gift that one has been given and exists only in the form of gift, which we already kind of discussed. And to go on with what Martha says is from, this is a Luther quote from the Heidelberg Disputation. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Okay. That's, re- that's really important. The love of man comes into being only through that which is pleasing to it. So God's love makes you lovable. It makes you loving. It makes you a lover. Adjective, verb, noun. I think that's the three that I needed. 
What's an adverb? Oh, love, lovely. You're lovely, love, loving. Yeah, all, all, whatever. Think of all the, the forms of speech, and then make it into love, and then that's that's what happens when God loves you. It uh, it creates it. So th- this is this is great because, um, God's making you into uh, what you're supposed to be. This is who you are. All right. So, but the thing is, though, we're afraid of that. Though, how does this love affect us? Um. People are not fully understood as loving, of course, right? We're probably more defined by how we don't love than how we love. Which means we don't naturally love as God loves. Which means love is is even horrifying to us. This is why that girl in high school was just completely unsettled with my, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. What? There's got to be something. She wanted to know. She wanted to be able to possess that. And then by possessing that, she wanted to kind of say, hey, look how great I am. In the eyes of Marcus. That only lasted for like, she kept on coming by the playground and bothered me too much. (laughs) I was a, a 16 I was old enough to ha- have a girlfriend. Sixteen. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, it, oh yeah. So uh, in the summertime, I take my take my bicycle, my bag with my bike and my lunch, and head down to the playground and play basketball all day. And uh, that, that was a, maybe once, twice, but man, after three times, I was like, forget it. Out of here. You're controlling. Anyways, all right. So, um, but but that that's the thing though is that um, as we remember our mirrors last week, that older woman when she looked into the mirror she saw her like her idealized self, right? So when we think of God loving us, on a certain level, we think God's loving that image, that that idealized self. Because on a certain level, we think of ourselves in, in that terms. Now, on the, on the flip side, too, though, it could be the opposite. God loves me because I'm such a horrible person. And this, this gets into this strange, well, that, that's, that's strange and backwards. But I know people who are like that. Um, they can't exist without being depressed or having some kind of drama in their life that needs to be like, oh, man, you never believe what happened to me. I, I, I don't have this relationship with you because you have terrible things happening in your life. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, 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 there's, I mean, I, there's umpteen people in my life, whether it be family, friends, or parishioners, who, for some reason, always has a, an event that happens to them. Could be sickness, could be a, I don't know, something happening at home, something goes wrong. And that's how, that's how they relate to people. I don't know if you know anybody like that. But for some reason, that's how, that's how their relationships with one another works. 
And I, first of all, I can't stand I have no patience for it. So, um, if, if you're like that, and when I say like that, I mean consistently like this. Because, uh, yeah, you know, by the power of God's love, you can, you, can, you can move out of that existence. And I know plenty of people like that. Which is, I mean, you're enlivened by these people. You're like, holy smokes. You were once depressed, but now you're not. You're like, oh. Um, all right, anyways. So you got these two things. You got this, this God loves me because of my idealized self. And that idealized self is either really pretty or really screwed up. Um, now, the thing is, though, what horrifies us about this, un this unconditional love is, A, there's no conditions. But on a certain, certain extent, and this goes to the judgment, unconditional aspect, is we like to be in control, but we, um, but we also, when God loves us unconditionally, we feel like, oh, I don't deserve it. And then I feel judgment on myself. God doesn't love us unconditionally to make us feel bad. Yep. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. Expect. Oh, so this is this is very important, and this goes to what Rachel had said earlier. Um. All right. Well, hang on. So let's. Uh, Oh yeah. So, how, uh, what uh, what do you say in response to this love? And in response is uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. That goes back to Mark chapter twelve at the beginning of class, right? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Did I? I think I, I couldn't get it onto two pages because of this last bit. Okay. So, um, God expects. Now, of course, you know you've heard Pastor Music say every word can be said two ways: in a law way and a gospel way. All right. So the word expect can be in terms of expectation. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm ex this is like in terms of anticipation, or it can be you weren't raised that way. I expect you to act differently. All right. So the word expect, just by English definition, can be understood in two ways. One in terms of you better do this, or hey. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. This is, um, this is a, an expectation. I'm, I'm not, not from an outside compulsion, but from an inside desire. So I want to make sure we understand that first, because the Ten Commandments, as they are coerced in people's lives, is not love and it's not gift. That's manipulation and obviously coercion, which destroys and does not give life. However, love, in terms of changing us into lovers, comes from within, out of the abundance of love. My cup overflows. And that's where love for your neighbor and fulfilling the Ten Commandments comes from. It comes from out of this abundance, which, just to kind of remind you, since God has no limit, right, it, it overflows. It's coming out of you. You can't. You can't control it. It's just you're, you're a lover. That's who you are. You gotta love. 
So the thing is, though, is loving your neighbor as yourself oftentimes objectifies your neighbor, makes it into an object. Um, I might have mentioned this before, but I, uh, it was very interesting for us. My first year here, we went to the Hindu Mandir, the Hindu temple. But they say don't call it a temple. It's a Mandir. That's up in Bartlett. Uh, yeah, there's one down south, but that's of a different Hindu bit. That's the Hare Krishna one, I think, down there. And this is the... Uh, what was it? The Salama Lama. It was kind of a. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was uh, of a different reincarnation of the guy. But um, anyways, one of the things that was very interesting for me to discuss with the college kids afterwards was at the Hindu Mandir they talked about your happiness is my happiness or something like that. And he made it, and then he said it's like your Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. I told everybody, you know, don't argue. Like, just we're just here to learn. We're, it, the whole summer series was, what do we uh, understand what they believe by the way they worship? So, you know, I wasn't. But afterwards, we always met at a, a restaurant, and we talked about this. And one of the things we talked about was this, because there was a couple of kids who said, hey, you know, it kind of, you know, is Christianity, I mean, you know, are they kind of compatible? It's kind of the same. I mean, I said, oh, absolutely not. Well, it sounded the same. All right, so love your neighbor as yourself. So the Hindu Mandir, I would say object, the way they talked objectifies people because your happiness is my happiness. So you're an object of my happiness. If I make you happy... That makes me happy. And the end result is me being happy. I, I want to be happy. So am I really making you happy to make you happy? Or am I making you happy to make me happy? <laughs> All right. Also, loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself, we often turn and say, what I love, I'm going to love my neighbor which we already talked about, right? Well, okay, that, hang on. Yeah, that's a good question. What if, well, what if you don't love yourself? Can you love your neighbor? Not really. But loving yourself sounds very selfish. So, again, it's so interesting how this stuff rolls off of our lips, right? But we've we got to really slow down because holy smokes. All right, so um, the... Uh, uh, well, let's just do the first bit. Uh, so love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean because I love ice cream, I'm going to serve ice cream. Even if you're lactose intolerant, since I love, I love ice cream, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And they just got to deal with it. Of course, that's silly, right? I mean, we all know that's silly, but that's how we re-roll, especially with, with gifts a lot of times, uh, especially between husbands and wives. You know, I, I, this is a great thing. I'm going to give my wife a... You know? Yeah, well, I, I was thinking about gardening tools and things like that. But, um, but that, that's not what Jesus actually means. Okay? Because as God loves, we already talked about love, and God loves kind of 
outwardly always, not in return. So loving your neighbor as yourself actually means turning yourself into who? The neighbor. It effaces you, actually. So it's the exact opposite of the Hindu Mandir. Loving your neighbor as yourself means treating yourself as the neighbor. Which means your first question is, who is this person? You know, I mean, it goes back to what you, you said earlier is that I've known my niece for whatever, how many years? Well, since she was born. How many, whatever it was, 25 years or whatever. And you're more experienced in life. You, so you, you, you get to know this person and say, I'm going to love this person the way they need to be loved. And that, that's how we kind of talked about St. John. I think we discussed that a few years ago in Sunday Bible study. Um, so when I say self-love here, I mean it in terms of reflective love. The mere loving back this is what we're going to talk about next week, is that oftentimes when I love other people, I make them fit into that image that I love. I love looking at myself. So I'm going to impose myself on this other person, and only, to, only, only after that is when I can love them. Because that kind of sounds like loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to put myself on that neighbor, and then I can love them. Well, that's awful, right? But that's something that we do. Uh, now, Kirby's question, what if you don't love yourself? If you don't love yourself, then who are you disagreeing with? God, right. So now we're back to this God's relationship, not so much the neighbor relationship. Right. That's right. You see, I, I, I th- uh, you probably have people like that. Everyone has a, someone like that in their life where someone who was raised in the church and then has kind of renounced it or left it, whether it be like the seeking as Kirby's brother or, you know, just all out like atheism, you know, there's all religions are terrible or bad or whatever. Uh, who, in an ironic way, who's very helpful for us in our age today is Frederick Nietzsche. Does anyone know his famous line that most Christians can't stand? God is dead. God is dead. Well, he was absolutely right. Um, not, not usually for the Good Friday reason, though. Uh, because Nietzsche, in his uh, uh, book, uh, well, he's got two books, and he deals kind of with idolatry. And he, Nietzsche basically destroys the god of modernism. And so when he's talking about God as being dead, he's actually talking about an idol. And it's very interesting. Uh, and, and so oftentimes when you run into these people who have been hurt by the church, or whatever, who have left the church for, for kind of, yeah, for, it's, it's usually not happy reasons. You know, it's like, hey, I just logically concluded that this isn't good. It's usually, there's something that's happened. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it could be, uh, you know, whatever, relationships or just even anti-intellectualism, whatever. Uh, most, I mean, nine out of ten times, these people are actually reacting against an idol and not, not actually Holy Scripture, the God of the Bible, the God, Jesus Christ. 
And what if for whatever reason, though, uh, they're not willing to kind of have that conversation because they know. They grew up. They know what it is. My dad was a pastor. He, I know what, you know, I know what it is because my dad taught me this. Well, uh, that's probably not right. I, I think there's something deeper, but you can't. As you love, you can't force people to have that conversation. You can't have them. You can't force them to hear it or receive it, and that's why we we speak without expecting anything in return. But I, this is um, something that's really important for us, because as we kind of deal with idolatry, hopefully we'll start kind of realizing that there's a lot of people in our lives that have left the church or don't believe in Jesus, but actually they don't believe in what? They, they're actually not believing in an idol. And to a certain extent, we say, yeah, that's right. Okay, great. You're right. But there's more to the story. I mean, there's... They're rejecting the idol, meaning like uh, they left the church because, for good reason, because they've actually, what they saw, to, what they, uh, uh, usually kind of unconsciously, what they're rejecting is not God, but an idol. Oh, yeah, right. Their experience is an idol. Their, yeah, it's usually their experience is an idol. Their, uh, and however we define experience, again, it, what really gets sad, though, is because people who have been close to you, right? I mean, really close to you, family, who have rejected the church, or, or faith, Jesus, you know, of course you feel you know, responsible for the whole thing. But we haven't really talked about the forgiveness of sins, but that's where forgiveness of sins screws up all that. It, it sets it correct. But Krista. Uh, I thought, you know, because we visit this temple too, and I was, I was, um, it's very intriguing, you know, because you have on this wall, you know, right. all this um, humanity, humanity, you, um, patience, and um, I didn't see love, but but all these, what um, includes love too. Right. Yeah. You sure. Know, well, love as. They would define love. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, oh yeah, right. That's why it sounds so so similar. Patience, love, kindness, fruits of the spirit. They're just the same as us. New. Uh, you know, part part of this discussion about love that I actually never really talked about though is that you know in Hebrew there's like five different words for love. In Greek there's three, which most people kind of know about, right? Agape. Philos, eros, um, but English we just we just have the one, so we just got to deal with it. <laughs> All right, so so that's the thing where you can have a, somebody else say love, and they are sincere, which of course we confuse with truth, right? If they're sincere, then it must be true, um, and that that causes us to doubt, doubt in a way that. Um, Doubt, like I said, doubting's good, but doubting should foster questioning, and questioning fosters dialogue and discussion. And that's oftentimes when people re- reject the church, they haven't actually had that dialogue. They haven't had that discussion. So, All right, anyways, let's pray. Um, well, then, yeah, so keep, uh, so one and two.
or no, no, we, we just finished one. You should be two, and if you want to go into three, which is the idea one, you, you go ahead. That'd be good. Lord, remember us in your kingdom to te teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.